This episode of Contracting Conversations is brought to you by BSCAI Certifications. Stand out from the crowd and illustrate your dedication to the industry and professional development by earning one of four professional designations for supervisors, suppliers, managers, and executives. Learn more at bscai.org slash certification. Welcome to Contracting Conversations, a podcast series from BSCAI. Through a series of interviews with entrepreneurs, business owners, and executives, this podcast aims to provide insights, trends, and tactics to support the growth and development of business owners serving the contract cleaning and facility maintenance industry. Welcome to Contracting Conversations, the official podcast of BSEAI. I am your host, Kate Jacobson. Joining me today is Claudia St. John. She is the president of Affinity HR, an official partner of BSCAI. St. John is an expert in all things human resources and has been assisting BSCAI and our members on navigating the COVID-19 crisis. Support for Contracting Conversations comes from our premier partners, 3M, Diversi, and Karcher. Learn more about our partners and their category-leading solutions for contractors at bscai.org slash partners. A lot has been going on with COVID-19. There's a lot of unanswered questions when it comes to, you know, what can I do from an HR perspective, PPP loans and workers' comp and all of these things. So, can you kind of just summarize for us what's going on, what's top-level thinking for HR professionals right now in terms of what's happening with COVID? Sure. We've actually been talking with a lot of um, HR folks, uh, BSCHR folks, within the last week, two weeks. Not so much about the Paycheck Protection Loan, which I know that we are going to talk about, but there's been a lot of sort of struggles with things such as, I have an employee who uh, says he's sick, but um, doesn't want to come in. We don't want him to come in if he's sick, but there's no validation that he's sick, and the doctor says he's fine to work but we don't want to force him to come in. You know, there's a lot of gray area around motivating employees currently. Mm -hmm. Um, These essential employees, you know, they've been working throughout this entire time. There's a lot of both mental health and strain associated with that. And so keeping employees engaged is is a challenge. Um, But also now there's that competing pressure because they see their peers getting unemployment and making more on unemployment than they were making, you know, on their jobs. And so it puts uh, HR folks in a really tough position of, of having to explain to workers, you know, if you have a job available to you and you quit, you're not going to get unemployment. That's not an option available to you. Right. Do you have mental health challenges? Are you just afraid? What are resources available to you? And one of the things that makes this and has made this so challenging all along is every case is different. You know, where you're located, if you're in a hot spot versus if you are in a, you know, in a very low impact location, Um, you know, depending on your individual situations, employee situations, um, 
it, it just requires constant troubleshooting and decision trees on each on each individual case. That's really what we've been doing a lot of the work with. Um, you know, early on in, in um, March, April, we had a lot of confusion by um, folks who now had under the, for the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, we had this new paid um, emergency paid sick leave and emergency paid family leave for those at home tending to children. And so, that created a lot of confusion of how that relates to some paid sick leaves on the state level, their own PTO, what qualifies them for that, what doesn't qualify them for that. And now the emergency paid family leave really is intended to provide up to 12 weeks of pay, two-thirds of pay, up to $200 a day for those who are home tending to children. Well, when they rolled that out, it was because schools had closed down. Well, now it's the summertime. Right. So what were they going to do in the summertime? And what are those options? And now that, now that daycares and camps and community centers are opening back up in a lot of places, um, do they still qualify for that paid leave? And what happens when a mother or father says, I don't want to put my kid back in a daycare at this point? they no longer qualify for it. So, you know, again, with everything COVID related, you know, you get one thing worked out and all right, I've got all my ducks in a row and all my eyes dotted and T's crossed. And then two weeks later, all right, now I got to go back and have another conversation with all of these employees to discuss what is the status of their family leave and do they need to come back or do they need to make other arrangements or do they no longer qualify for that pay? Right. So it's just been a constant triage, really. There's, it just is exhausting, and it never ends, and it's different every week, but it, you can be sure there is something that's going to happen every week. Yeah, it's like you said, it's just been every single time you turn around, there's new legislation or there's updated language. Um, yep. And for, you know, like you said, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for people when they say, hey, I'm looking at this unemployment rate. This is much more than I was making before. But yeah. that's a temporary. Yes, that yeah. ends. Yeah, that ends the end of July. So it's kind of like it's, it's constantly changing. It, it, things are ending at different times. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, it is very confusing. As an employer, what are some things that I should be thinking about in terms of how do I communicate these things to my employees? How do I make them realize what's available to them and what ultimately would be the best thing for them to do? Like, cause like you said, if someone says, hey, you know, I don't want to work, well, then you can't collect unemployment if you have work available to you. But, right. do, but do all the employees understand that is the big question. Yeah, you know, I think some of the best practices that we've heard are around communication. And I think there's two types of communication, and, and I think it should be weekly. I think it should be in writing or better yet in video format that can be also um, translated into the native language of your workforce, your predominant workforce. And I think there's two subject areas that need to be discussed on a, on a weekly basis. Um, and that is, number one, what are you doing to keep them safe? So practices around PPE use, protective, you know, masks and gloves, um, practices around health screening. Um, you know, a lot of the screening, the CDC has updated their guidelines and the EEOC has updated their guidelines. So it's now acceptable for employers to test 
employees for COVID. Um, it has been all along okay for employers to take the temperatures of employees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've been on the fence about this because it doesn't do much good to do either in terms of of workplace protection because what we've heard is 40% of people with COVID don't even have symptoms and those that have symptoms, only a small number of them have a fever and it can be reduced with a fever reducer. So what are you really evaluating? But there's a huge peace of mind that employees get when they see you as an employer, as an HR professional, taking it really seriously and doing everything within your power to keep them safe, to keep them healthy, to test their workplace, to protect them, to keep them safe. Right. And so that's one line of communication that I would say regularly. Say, you know, hey, we put in a new um, uh, touch-free hand sanitizers in all of our trucks or in all of our workplaces. We just ordered a new set of PPEs. We've got some new, you know, N95 or KN95 masks coming in to protect you. We should get those in two Constantly letting employees know that you are keeping your eye on the ball. And also letting them know what the CDC is saying. And literally, I as, a, as an employer and I as an HR professional do check the CDC site a couple of times a week because it's constantly changing. And the symptoms are changing. So now they're adding to, you know, cough and shortness of breath and fever. They're adding this like COVID toes and loss of taste and smell and um, sensations on your scalp, blood clots, Mm -hmm. um, numbness in limbs, all of these neurological changes that are happening, let employees know what all of those symptoms are and if they have any of them, they need to stay home so that they feel like they're up to date and informed. So I think that's the first line of communication. And I would communicate that even if you don't have anything to say, just say we checked the CDC guidelines, nothing new this week, but we're keeping an eye on it. Right. The other, and then the other piece of communication is around, you know, now that schools, now that the school systems are closed, if you're on a paid family leave, you need to resubmit, and um, you know, if daycares are opening up, you're going to need to come up with other arrangements for your children because you won't qualify. Right. So keeping them up to speed about the things that they need to know around their leave, their pay, their PTO, their benefits, any of those sorts of things, keeping them um, up to speed. That was going to be my next question. Do you think, and obviously you, you're kind of alluding that you do, but is, is it appropriate to be sending people messages like, here's what the law allows, or here's what this is, um, here's how this is impacting you from like, a policy perspective, and kind of pointing those things out, like you said, with the FMLA leave, um, saying, hey, this is how you need to you need to resubmit, or you know, this is how this affects you. Yes, I think absolutely. Um, you know, it was it was really um, I, w- I was having a conversation with an HR professional, um, a BSC HR professional, uh, just last week at the end of last week, and um, she, she had somebody who um, claimed that he had a fever, and she said he needs to come back in. She wasn't even aware that. Um, if he had a fever and if he had a symptom of COVID and was suspected of it, that he would qualify for paid sick leave. Mm-hmm. She didn't really, she as an HR professional herself didn't understand the rules. So I think that, I don't think that you can give too much information around 
here's what you need to know, here's how it impacts you, here's what we're doing for you, and contact us if you have any questions. I recognize everybody's inundated with COVID stuff. Everybody, you know, their phones are blowing up, their newspapers are blowing up, their radio stations are blowing up, we're all over it, like we're all done. But you as an employer have a unique position of, of affecting the lives of your employees so you're more of a trusted source than really anyone. You may be the only one that's teaching them how to wash their hands. You right. may be the only one who's telling them how to wear a mask correctly. You may be the only one sending the video out, reminding them of you know, how to put on and take off gloves in order to ensure protection. So I think that yes, letting them know legally what's available to them, policy-wise what's available to them, and then what's available to them to keep themselves and their families safe I don't know anyone else who would be better or more appropriate to do that for them. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like you said, that your employer is kind of your direct line to how you're going to interact with your day-to-day -day responsibilities, whether that's at work or, you know, outside of work if you have any sort of, like, travel restrictions or anything like that. But especially for cleaners, uh, for janitorial staff, it's really important to understand the implications of how these laws impact you, um, what your kind of wiggle room is between these things, what you, where your rights are. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very convoluted, you know. It is, and but I but I also think that um, you know this is a this is the two sides of the same coin, right? So how do we keep employees engaged? How do we keep them coming to work? How do we keep them knowing that we want them and we care about them? Well protecting them, taking care of them, keeping them informed, making sure that they know where to go, they know what they need so that they feel cared about, they feel protected. That, number one, is the way you're going to keep your employees loyal to you because you will sh you're showing your loyalty to them. Mm -hmm. They're not just a cog. They're not just a piece of equipment. They're not just, you know, a, a, a small component of your of your engine they are your engine and if you don't you know take care of them they'll leave mm -hmm. so I, I think it's I think it's a it's 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 a huge component of employee engagement in a time of crisis to say to them we got you we're taking care of you we're here for you here's what you need to know we're we are not we are still paying attention constantly about this so you don't have to and if you have any questions you can contact us and kind of in that same vein, I know there's been a lot of discussion about what this could mean if you do have somebody who's been exposed to COVID at work or um, maybe has exposed others in your facility or, or, your, or your team mm -hmm. to COVID-19, what that could mean as far as like a workers' comp situation. Sure. Uh, been on that? Yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing, and all, all folks are going to know this, workers' comp is a state is a state game. Mm -hmm. So each state is handling it differently. A lot of folks have said, look, it's really hard to say you got COVID at work unless you're a first responder, you work in a nursing home, or you're a cleaning crew that cleans surgical theaters or COVID theaters, right, M medical facilities. There's probably a much closer direct line of, of, of infection between workplace and worker in those settings. In other settings, it's really hard to say, did you get it um, at work? Did you get it commuting to work? Did you get it at the grocery store on your way home from work? So 
it's it the the workers comp component there has been and it, it also dovetails with employer liability did they, did you not do what you needed to do to keep them safe so the most important thing is, of course, doing everything that you can to keep them safe in terms of providing them with equipment and education and, and making sure that you don't have high-risk populations in high-risk work environments. Mm. But some states, like Illinois and California and others, they have said, especially before the workplace opened, when we had essential employees, these states passed ordinances and rules for their workers' comp boards saying, if you have an essential employee that has to come to work and they get COVID, it does not matter where they got that COVID, it will be treated as a workers' comp claim. Interesting. Now, there's two ways of doing that. One way is to say it's a workers' comp claim, therefore let's report it. Let's capture all of the information that you would normally need to capture for workers' comp. So there's a reporting component. That's fine. Um, but then it's, well, who pays for that? If workers' comp is paying for that and as a result it affects your rates, your experience rates, that's a problem. Um, but there have been states that said, no, 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 we're going to cover the cost through workers' comp. We're just using workers' comp as the vehicle to record and pay for those, those claims. Other states have said, no, we're actually going to run it on your workers' comp claim. If you're putting those employees at risk, you're going to pay for it. So those are all, all of those rules are kind of working their way through on the state level and they're also being litigated mm -hmm. um, and the one in Chicago was the was one of the more extreme uh, versions of that it, it was automatically going to be a COVID case and it was automatically going to be paid for through workers comp and an employer liability they've since rescinded that um, and I don't actually know what the status of that is and I think it's really important that employers be in touch with their workers' comp carriers constantly mm -hmm. to find out what the deal is because that was a set of rules that applied when they were considered essential workplaces. They're not essential anymore if, work, if, if the community opens up, right? So if you no right. longer have these stay-at-home orders, there is no essential employee, then what? Um, do those do those do those rules and those requirements still apply so my best advice is to be in touch with your workers comp carrier to find out what the deal is and 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 to follow what their recommended guidelines are for not only keeping workers clean you know protected under OSHA guidelines and and CDC guidelines but also for reporting and and paying for it i also think um kate that it's it's part of this employer liability situation people are like well what, what you know if I bring like let's say I'm bringing people back to work at workplaces that maybe are a little bit more risky or we're, we're cleaning more offices or as you know municipalities schools uh, you know business um, centers are opening up you're going back into those into those businesses you're risking more exposure what is an employer liability well we don't know, um, and Congress is kind of uh, battling back and forth on the balance between providing employer protection from liability for getting employees back to work with 
pr protecting the employee, make sure that making sure that the employer is taking all steps necessary to protect that employee. The one thing I know for sure is that your best defense for employer liability claims is a very aggressive offense in protecting your employees right. through all the things we've already talked about. I was, I, I was chatting with the BSC last week or the week before, and that's, he was kind of saying the same thing. He's like, we're just making sure that we have everything documented, how we're helping our employees, making sure you know, we're making it very clear to them that this, these are the ways we're protecting you, redeploying people that are high risk to go to you know, less high risk facilities. Yeah. So it's all, like you said, it's a really good offense, makes a really good defense as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and really, because we can't say, and, and there are a lot of claims being filed right now, especially in places like Lowe's, in places like the Amazon um, fulfillment centers, in these meat pa packaging places, where you're seeing clusters of employees that are infected. That tends to say, okay, this is, and, and now actually in Chicago, there's a very interesting lawsuit that's been filed by um, McDonald's workers and what they're filing, they filed it under um, uh, health protections, not under labor protections, but under health protections. They're not suing for money. They're suing to force those McDonald's to provide more PPE and workplace protections. So those are different kinds of suits that we haven't seen before. They're not suing in order to get money. They're suing in order to get the employer to do more to protect them. In those cases, if they can say, here's what the current thinking was and you didn't follow it, here's what a simple workplace adjustment would be and you didn't do it, you're much more liable for a claim of, of liability um, than if you are like a lot of BSCs. And, and I suppose I only hear from the ones that are really doing their best and working their hardest at doing everything they can. Mm -hmm. I don't see the bad apples. I don't see the people who are not doing a great job. Literally everybody I've talked to is doing everything that they know how to do to protect their workers. Um, but it's the best defense. It shows, and, and an employee is less likely to sue you if they know you've done everything you can. It's a global pandemic, it's a virus. We have no immunity to it and it's highly, highly contagious. So, you know, it's really not an employer's fault if an employee gets sick through just the act of living. But it is an employer's fault if they put them in a space where they're more likely to get sick and they don't train them, they don't provide the equipment for them, they don't provide the information to them, they don't take into consideration those employees' underlying health circumstances. So it's not only showing good faith is a good, is a good defense in case they get sued, showing good faith is a good defense from getting sued in the first place because your employees are going to trust that you did everything that you could. Right. It's like having a holistic view of the situation and understanding where you can provide important things like PPE or, you know, redeploying people that maybe need to be redeployed. That, that's a really big part of the puzzle. And if you're not already doing that, you probably have some other problems that you need to <laughs> Yeah, if you're not doing it already after how many how many years of it with sort of seven and a half years we've been under this thing I like know. <laughs> it's just like my mind hurts but um most BSCs listening to this they've already done this um but it's just a reassurance it's 
you know, if we if you listen to the themes of all the things we've talked about so far, you know, being aggressive and taking care of employees, providing them with communication, providing them with protection, giving them everything that you can, being vigilant about it for them, it leads to improved employee engagement. It, it, it leads to improved commitment and loyalty. It meets, leads to improved health outcomes for those employees, and it leads to a likely reduction in lawsuits and liability. Like there's not there's not a thing that is that is a bad outcome for being vigilant and caring and compassionate and providing as much communication as you can. Yeah, and I think another thing too is the documentation of it all. Um, yeah, really good point, Kate. Really, really, really good point. And that documentation is not just for um, for getting federal reimbursement under the emergency paid sick leave or the emergency paid family leave. You do need to have that documentation should you ever be audited. So you need to be constantly updating that. But also you need to be capturing all of these things that you're doing for workplace protection so that you, if you get sued, you can document it. If you do have an employee who has COVID, you're going to be having to, it's, it's, a, it's an OSHA recordable event. You're going to have to record it there. It may be a worker's comp claim. You're going to have to report it there. So all of the things that you do from, you know, buying multiple PPEs to buying the hand sanitizer, all the things that you're doing that you normally wouldn't think of, oh, I need to report this or record this in case I get sued or in case I have to file an EEOC claim, you should be documenting all of this now. Um, and even if you don't even know why you're documenting it, it's better to document it than not to. All of the orders, all of the equipment, all of the training, all of the videos, all the communication, everything that you're doing regularly, all of the communication with you have with each of your employees and the guidance that you make for those employees, each of the, the, the horrible decision trees that you have to go through with each and every single conversation of each and every potential infection, record all of it. Record right. everything. You ask them to go to the doctor, record that you asked them to go to the doctor. They went to the doctor and here's the doctor's note. You recorded that you have the doctor's note and what your advice was and what you recommended and how you followed CDC guidelines and what were the guidelines at that moment in time because they're changing. So you want to you want to record what guidelines you're following at the time that you make that decision because those guidelines may be very different by the time you get sued. Right. So you want to show at that moment in time, this was the best knowledge that we had, and I followed it. Um, so yeah, just uh, if you weren't if you weren't like obsessive compulsive about recording in the past, now is a good time to start being that way. Yeah, um, just kind of change topics just a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about the PPP loans. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of question marks around those as well about what the repayment requirements are. Um, how that process is going to play out. We're kind of coming to the end of the, I believe the end of the first round of the PPP. Is that correct? Uh, so the, uh, the initial applications were received or you could submit them April 3rd. Mm -hmm. So for those who really were on it and whose banks were really responsive, yes, they could be up as soon as Friday if they got the funding. So the issue is, th th there's, a, there's a couple of issues here. So the loan origination date was from the date that the money hit your bank account. Mm -hmm. That's when you start the clock. And it goes through eight weeks from that period of time. Now, in that time, they've issued a lot of other things. For example, they said, if you had 
uh, other lines of capital available to you. If you had, like, let's say, a venture capitalist backing, or you're a publicly traded company and could raise money through stock options, if you had, if you didn't have a sufficient financial hardship as a result of COVID, then um, you could be liable. You should not have collected that money in the first place. Well, nobody knew that when they applied, right? So we applied with the bare, bare minimum of what was available. A lot of BSCs are working overtime. A lot of BSCs are up. They may be down because a couple of their lines or a couple of their verticals, such as schools and municipal buildings, were offline. But then they started doing you know, remediation and, and COVID dis disinfection, and that's a higher dollar value. So they might, at the end, be making more money than, than they were anticipating when they applied for the loan. Mm -hmm. So a lot of BSCs got the money and then realized, holy cow, I might not be able to get this forgiven. I don't want to be burdened with a loan, even though it's low interest, and I definitely don't want to be sued, you know, for having made a fraudulent claim. So a lot of BSCs actually never spent that money and gave it back. Um, any BSC that got more than $2 million in, in funding runs the risk of being audited of being investigated for things such as, was there financial necessity? Were you down? Did you make a good faith effort in evaluating it? Did you have other lines of credit available to you that you could have used first? And the, and the thing that's ridiculous about that is, yeah, I'm sure they had other lines of credit available to them, but those were at higher rates. So why wouldn't you go for the lowest rate or a forgivable loan? There was, no, there was no reason not to pursue it. But then as the Treasury Department and the Small Business Administration started giving their guidance, it got scary. So a lot of folks, um, a lot of folks gave it back, um, and the other ones now are trying to figure out how to, how to apply for that forgiveness. The good news is the Small Business Administration has said that if you had a loan of less than $2 million, they're going to assume good faith that you did face financial hardship. So that's not a test that folks are going to have to try and, and satisfy anymore. Um, but the calculating of payroll, the calculating of, um, you know, the showing both two tests. One is that your average pay, your pay rates didn't go down, number one, and number two, that your headcount didn't go down. Well, that's a, those are kind of tricky calculations because there's always turnover. This is a very, very high turnover industry. Mm -hmm. So what, what headcount number are you using? Is it an average headcount or are you tracking Joe? If Joe's no longer there, but now you have Marty, is that okay? So really kind of working through those issues. And I've been tracking the AICPA, which is the Association of CPA um, Professionals. Mm -hmm. They're still trying to figure out what guidance to offer. So you really need to be in very close contact with your banker, with your CPA, and with your financial advisor on how to do those calculations and, and how, to, how to apply. And you have to apply for loan forgiveness. You can't do it until after your eight weeks is up because you don't have the, the data at that point to right. be able to, to prove it. Um, but you don't want to wait. You don't want to wait until August or September or October. You want to get this in and done as quickly as possible. The good news is the House passed last week 
some changes to the PPP that would affect everybody. One of them was they were going to extend the period of time that you had to bring employees back up to full speed beyond eight weeks and to, I, I believe the latest language was three months from the end of the pandemic. So um, that was an opportunity, because you know, if you're, if you're keeping people off because of their health risk, you don't want to be penalized about that in the PPP loan forgiveness process. Right. So, so they're looking at extending that period. They're also looking at extending the repayment of that low interest loan um, to the original statutory limit that was in the law, which is 10 years. The Small Business Administration, when they put the loans out there so that they had two years to pay back those loans. So there's a lot of um, more liberal interpretation, um, sort of truing up what people's actual experiences are. Nobody knew when the PPP went out that we were going to be under lockdown for as long as we were. And they're also looking forward and saying, mm, it's possible we might have another lockdown in the fall then what? So um, that they're looking to liberalize some of that. So keep an eye out on that. That passed the House. The Senate is a completely different ball of wax. Um, I think there's some broad bipartisanship on this legislation because it's money that's already been put out there. It's really, you know, and, and it was put out as the rules were changing. They were changing the rules mid-game once people had already collected that in, that money. So um, so I think there are going to be some changes. I'm hoping there's going to be some liberalization on the timing, both for when you have to bring and restore your workplaces back up to full speed and when you get to pay the, the loan back. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, and that's especially good news for BSCs, as you know, with each individual state lockdown situation. Yeah. You know, there's some BSCs who were able to open to, to their clients wanted their shops or office buildings or whatever their facility was to open, you know, June 1, May 1, um, whereas there's other BSCs in places like Illinois or Michigan that are still somewhat locked down that, you know, they can't get in there. So how are you supposed to bring people yeah. you have nothing for them to do? Exactly. Well, I'm in New York and we're still totally locked down. We, yeah. We're not even zone two. We're not even level two yet. We're still on level one. So we're, we're, and I'm in Syracuse, like we're not even in Manhattan. So it's, a, it's really very regional. Um, and the other thing is a lot of businesses that we're talking with, a lot of the professional service businesses that we work with that are part of our, of our, you know, clientele, they're not bringing people back because they can work remotely. So right. You know, so a lot of BSCs, it's really interesting, a lot of BSCs are up, a lot of BSCs are down. Um, it's an average game. So there, there is, most BSCs are off by a little, not by a lot. But, you know, again, I know of some very prominent um, businesses that are not doing COVID remediation, and therefore they're kind of just waiting for those businesses and those commercial centers to open back up again, and a lot of them aren't. Right. They just made the decision, you know, in order to keep my employees safe, we're working productively from home, we're not going to change it. We're staying home until, until you know, the game is over. Yeah, I mean, look at, like, businesses like Twitter who announced that they might not, they're definitely not coming back till 2021, but, yeah. you know, maybe they might never come back. It's, it's going to be in really, it's going to be a really interesting time for BSCs. I think this is going to be a time of, you know, making sure that all their ducks are in a row when it comes to the HR issues, you know, making sure you have everything documented when it comes to like with the workers comp stuff, even more so when it comes to the PPP loans. 
-hmm. and then kind of what lessons can be learned to move forward and how can we not prevent something like this. There's no way you can prevent anything like this, but next time something like this happens, it's much more um, programmatic than, well, let's just uh, kind of like running around in a house fire. Yeah, and you know, I think there's a real opportunity. I know there's a massive opportunity for BSCs to develop really strong consultative relationships with their clients as they open up. Because as BSCs, you're in these facilities, you're cleaning these facilities, you are in a, a perfect position to advise these companies on how to restructure their workplaces in order to be more protected. How can you change the, the, the traffic patterns in your workplace? How can you add screening? Where can they get hands-free sanitizer dispensers? Um, where can they get hands-free door openers, you know, where you push a pedal and the door opens. These are things that BSCs, because you're in so many facilities, and in changing these things up, you're, you're keeping your own employees safe who have to go into those workplaces to clean them. Um, as businesses are contemplating opening up, I would reach out to them and say, first of all, let's do a remediation just to get, you know, so that everybody enters with a clean building. But also, let us come in and do a walkthrough consultation with you on how you can set your workplace up to be as COVID safe as possible. And you probably, as BSCs, have access to more product and more technology and more capacity to keep those workplaces ongoingly clean I don't think ongoingly is a word, but I'm going to use it. Um, but, you know, to, 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 you're a business partner to them. Where else are they going to go? I mean, maybe they're property managers, but other than the property managers for the communal space, if you're working in single-use buildings that don't have property managers, you're it. So, so I, 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 think there's an, I think there's a huge opportunity not only to get in there and do that deep clean, do more frequent clean, do expand your wipe down services, for example, like maybe you do one deep clean a, a week, but then you do wipe, wipe downs every other day or every day. I mean, th there's just a lot of opportunity to be that, that informed um, resource to businesses as they try to figure out how to open up. Right. Using your expertise as, yeah. a, as a means of good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one of the things we've been, you know, we've been obviously all over everything out there um, with videos and webinars and, um, and we've put together a lot of checklists uh, for companies that are coming back online, um, which of course doesn't apply to BSCs because most of them have been online, but their clients are coming back online. One of the things we have said is the number one place you should go where you should start, first of all, you want to know what the symptoms from the CDC are, you want to check the CDC site, you want to check the Department of Labor site, you want to check OSHA, you want to check EPA on what products to use to clean your workplace. So those, those are the first things that a business should check. The second call they should make is to their janitorial business facility, you know, commercial cleaning facility. And if they don't have one, establish a relationship with one. To clean the building now when it's empty before folks come in, 
so that they also know that space so that if you have a COVID infection later, they're going to be able to remediate it. They're not, you're not going to have to be scrambling to try and find those relationships. You already have them, and they already know your space. So that's, that's like the number three or number four bullet on our reopen checklist for, our, for all of our clients, whether they are pension administrators or insurance agencies or you know, building service or, or um, building material distributors. That's what we advise. Make right. those relationships. Sign up now. No time, I mean, like, no time like the present to get everything squared away. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's great about it? So you could get it all squared away, and then tomorrow is going to hit, and none of it's going to be relevant because it's going to be something else. So, you know, just, just, just a little cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I shouldn't have added that, but oh, oh my gosh, yeah. aren't we all exhausted? <laughs> it is exhausting, but I think it's important to note because it, it's easy to – I guess it's not really easy to stay um, apathetic about coronavirus because it's every single day it seems like there's a new thing to care about. But it it's, it's underscores the importance of rechecking things, revalidating things, mm. even after coronavirus is, you know, just a, a distant memory, hopefully, which would be soon. You know, every year, every quarter, you should be kind of going through these processes or going through these documentation uh, procedures that you have and saying, okay, where, where can I be updating these things? What kind of procedures do I need to be following from the CDC or from the Department of Labor or from whoever, you know? Right, right, exactly. And, you know, I'm just going to throw one other sort of nugget in here, and that is we've seen <clears throat> a lot of, um, we've seen a lot of discussion about the politicization of using, of wearing face masks, for example, and, you know, this is a hoax, and <clears throat> this is overblown, we're overreacting, we need to open up businesses, you know, the economy is going to hurt us more than overreacting to COVID is, and, and one's perspective is one's perspective, and, and, and it's hard to change those perspectives, but as an employer, your job is to keep your employees safe, and I, I think that I would strongly encourage, regardless of political persuasion, not, not trying to, to change any minds, but it's a very simple measure to, to keep a safe workplace, provide the PPE to, to keep your employees safe. If for nothing else, it's going to keep them feeling like you care about them. It's going to keep them probably from suing you. It's going to improve your overall liability risk. And it's not that much of a big deal, right? It's not, it's not I mean, yes, masks are very expensive right now. Prices are coming down, but it's a pretty small measure given that, um, you know, we don't want our workplaces, we don't want our workplaces sick, we don't want our employees dying, we don't want their families dying. And if you lived in New York, you would know that's a reality. It's not, I mean, a lot of, a lot of BSCs are in places that did not have a lot of infection. This isn't a real and present threat to them now. But that doesn't mean that it, it won't be next time um, or it can't be soon. So I just, um, I really plead to those who really just want to, they've got COVID fatigue, they want over it, masks are hot, they're expensive, nobody wants to wear them, they can't see you smiling underneath them, they're miserable, and that's all true. Um, but it's all we've got. So we just, I think, need to do the best that we can. Um, I think those were all the questions that I had for you. Is there anything you kind of would like to leave our listeners with as, in terms of steps moving forward? Yeah, you know, I think um, 
this is the perfect time to show what kind of a leader you are. And no time like a crisis to show what your basic values are, who you as a company are. You know, you spend a lot of money developing those core values and those mission and vision statements, but they don't mean a thing if they don't live and breathe during a crisis. And I think a lot of times we're all going through an emotional trauma, um, you know, and, and no less now by all of these riots that are going on, you know, just another, another day of what is going on with the world. We're all struggling with that. But employees are looking at you. They're watching you. They're watching everything you do. They're watching everything you say. They're watching how you act. Um, if you yourself are not socially distancing, if you yourself are not practicing good hygiene, if you yourself are, are, are refusing to wear PPE, then they won't feel like you really mean it. Um, they won't feel like you really care. Um, it, it, if you need to walk the talk now more than ever in your professional career, this is the most important time. And what's so wonderful is that, again, it's probably bias selection, all of the BSCs that I've talked to care deeply for their employees. They love their employees, and they want their employees to stay safe. Um, and you know, some of them get down. I, I, I had, I had one call me last week. Um, I'm, yeah, it was last week, and almost in tears. I've, I've spoken to more grown men crying over the last three months than I ever want to again. Yeah. But almost in tears because he lost it on his workforce. He had come in and um, I think it was his, uh, his administrative staff and he found somebody on Facebook um, or buying, I think it was buying makeup or something on work, work time, you know, basically doing stuff, personal stuff on work time. And he lost it on her. He said, "You, I have been working so hard to keep all of you employed. He bought the paycheck protection. You know, he'd gotten the paycheck protection loan in order to keep them employed. They were down. He's not doing very well financially. And he just opened up a can of wolf ass on this poor woman who was doing something that she shouldn't have been doing. But he had no emotional intelligence in that moment. Right. And he was devastated by it. And, you know, I, I said to him, we've all done it. I've opened it up on my kids. You've probably opened it up on your spouses. Like, everybody's had their moments of emotional intelligence breakdown. Right. Um, we need to forgive ourselves and we need to forgive each other, but we need to work really, really, really hard to keep our employees knowing we love them, we care about them. And if you do make a mistake like that, a deep, deep, heartfelt apology. She was wrong. She shouldn't have done that, but that transgression did not warrant the response that she got. So, right. um, you know, I think it's just at this moment in time, showing your true, wonderful selves as leaders and treating each other with grace, treating each other with empathy, treating each other with kindness. And that's not only our employees, that's our clients, that's the jerk who cuts you off on the road, that's the idiot who takes your line at the grocery store, and everyone else in between. Breathe deeply. We're all going through this. We're all about to snap. And the more we can 
remember our, I mean, it sounds a little preachy, I'm sorry, but if we can live in a state of gratitude and grace, um, it's what's been keeping me going. And, um, and I'm, I'm not a churchgoer, but I believe, I believe deeply that the more gratitude and grace we have, the more we're going to be able to get through this. Yeah, I think you're totally right. We are kind to one another and kind to ourselves, too. We will... It's the only way we're going to weather this storm. So exactly, and recognize that your employees are are protecting the rest of society, and they come to work for you, and they are keeping us safe, and they are the true heroes. Like they are the true heroes, and if they're afraid to come to work, I don't blame them. And so, being understanding and empathetic with them. I think is now is now is not the time to enforce your attendance policies like you know like a a, a a German train master. I would be now would be a good time to be a little a little um, soft and forgiving if you can. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. As always, we appreciate your insights. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contracting Conversations from BSCAI. If you liked what you heard and you want to find out more or to listen to previous episodes, head over to bscaiorg podcast. There you can also subscribe to our newsletter so you never miss industry news, updates, and great tips. Subscribe to Contracting Conversations on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more about our community on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube.